Grove. And I'm Quinn Lundquist. Welcome to Viral. This is a podcast where we talk about things like plagues, um, outbreaks, and the public health workforce who uh, works behind the scenes to keep us all safe and healthy. So we're going to try and do something a bit different today. Ooh, boy. Yeah. Changing it up. Right? Just to, you know, keep spicing it up like variety is the spice of life right yep yeah so we're gonna call this transduction yeah so um well quinn um in case you didn't know what transduction was please tell me um it's when bacteria share dna information by means of a bacteria infecting virus called a bacteriophage so, like, I'm going to share some really cool public health information to infect your knowledge base and, like, vice versa. I'm a little frightened, to be honest, but also interested. Cool. Um, because guess what? Hmm. When we engage in this knowledge transduction, we're increasing our resistance to ignorance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're basically... It's like we're creating super bugs, but like good ones. Yeah. We're, we're the bugs. Like, and we're the... we're smart now. We're the cool bugs. We're the cool bugs. <laughs> super cool bugs. And the antibiotics are ignorance. Yes. And we're saying like, hey, I'm going to infect you with some stuff so that you like don't become ignorant and stuff. If that point was not clear. Yeah. So. I, I also often find the best jokes are the ones that are most heavily explained. <laughs> yes. Yeah, me too. It's really funny that you think that too. Uh, so So if you're still listening. Yeah. Uh, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for continuing We're to sorry. support us. Uh, so yeah, so the other so the piece of this is that Quinn and I have chosen topics. Uh, that we're going to teach each other about, but we haven't told each other what the topic is. So this is, like, going to be a surprise for both of us. Yep. There's been no behind-the-scenes trickeration here. We've not shared our topics. There's pro- there's even a small chance that we have chosen the same topic, which we did not guard against in any way, in which, well, we'll just get there if we get there. Yeah, right? All right, so do you want to go first? I will go first. Oh, my God. Okay, so what did you pick? All right. I picked a topic, uh, a disease called bronchiolitis obliterans. Okay, cool. We didn't choose the same topic. That's which awesome. Which has a couple of cool things about it. Bronchiolitis obliterans, A, sounds like a Harry Potter incantation. Yes, absolutely. Um, B, the abbreviation for it is B-O, but right. it has nothing to do with body odor. Right. This is a condition more colloquially referred to as popcorn lung. Oh my god. That's doesn't just that, like Doesn't it have like a really evocative name when you think about popcorn lung? It gives me like acute asthma thinking about it. Yeah. And it also makes me nauseous. It, it makes me think about like when you accidentally get a little piece of popcorn kernel like in the back of your oh throat god. and you're just like ah, I, I can't uh, get it out of there. Well, this is a disease that results in the obstruction of the airways, the bronchioles, the smallest little mm-hmm. bronchioles, um, due to inflammation. And symptoms include dry cough, shortness of breath, feeling tired, wheezing. Um, and this 
happens uh, because the the tissue gets gets inflamed, gets damaged, and then scar tissue um, uh, covers it, and then the airway shrinks a little bit because of the scar tissue, and then it gets inflamed again, and uh -huh. it just gets worse and worse. Ugh. And um, the so this is really really interesting because it's a fairly new thing. This really? was yep. And the reason why it's called popcorn lung is because somebody had a sick sense of humor. <laughs> no, actually, I love popcorn because it has to do with the factories where the oil where that is put in microwave popcorn bags is uh -huh. created. Oh God! And basically, there's a chemical called diacetyl, which was found to um, be somewhat responsible and it's part of the butter flavoring that in the in these factories where they were making microwave popcorn mm -hmm. was getting into the air and the workers at the factory were inhaling it mm -hmm. and they started to get sick oh no this was in 2001 wow so so basically, like, be, I think one of the things to clarify is that, like, we all, I mean, I think most of us have used microwave popcorn, which now mm -hmm. makes me kind of sad, um, which I didn't think would happen today or ever. Right. Um, so in the process of making microwave popcorn, obviously the oil has to be, like, put into a state where it's basically like powder almost. Yes. And so that's what they're inhaling. Yes. Yikes. Um, and... NIOSH, the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, um, studied this. Wow. They they did a study um, which which was about preventing lung disease in workers who use or make buttered flavorings, mm -hmm. which must have been kind of a fun study to be a part of, except for all of the like lung disease Stuff. aspects of it, because uh, they just got to hang out in a bunch of like popcorn factories. True. True. Um, so, but, but people, I mean, got really sick because of this and one guy got $20 million, a factory worker, got $20 million from the Gilster Mary Lee Corporation in, um, Jasper, Missouri, which... Is this Orville Redenbacher? No, no, this was different. Um, oh. yeah, they, they didn't. They didn't really know, or, or I don't know uh, if they didn't want to, but they weren't wearing the personal protective equipment because they didn't think that yeah. there was a risk there. And now they have to wear the personal prote protective mm -hmm. equipment, the respira respirators. Um, but yeah, dude got $20 million because he's yeah. working in this plant and basically had to get a lung transplant. Wow. So it makes you kind of wonder, like, so these occupational health issues are still yeah. occurring today. Yeah. They're not something that was like in the 1800s, you know, in factories where mm -hmm. kids are getting ground up into lunch meat. That's a really great, <laughs> that's a, such a great image, Quinn, thanks. You're welcome. Oh boy. No, but I mean, um, that also just makes me think about, you know, what we're going to find out eventually about vaping. So that leads me into my next topic because there have been studies done 
uh, on vaping and whether or not it too is a cause of popcorn lung. You're welcome, Because Diash. I just made that totally diacetyl is a chemical that mm -hmm. was in the popcorn uh, buttering flavors that is also in some vaping products. Now, um, Harvard did a study in 2015 and the results were inconclusive. They mm -hmm. said mm -hmm. they could neither prove that this was causing harm to people, nor could they say that it was safe. Um, mm. So it, the conclusions were basically like, we need more research. Mm -hmm. However, there were a ton of clickbaity, weird um, ads with people in in hospitals on ventilators where they're saying e-cigarettes e are killing people and causing it was causing a panic and then of course you know this turned out not to be true mm -hmm. not really to be true um well inconclusive like, right but like there wasn't not any. it's we he couldn't prove that it right. was that and yeah. so there was a backlash to the backlash oh, and boy. now because of um you know bogus ads out here saying e-cigarettes caused this horrible incurable disease called popcorn lung which was not true um it doesn't mean that the e-cigarettes are safe right but this thing wasn't right oh boy. Um, now people are saying well you know that's all wrong they're all safe and it's right fine. right which is doing the opposite of what yeah it's, it's crazy oh boy. um so I have one more little piece of information about this. There has been one case where, and this is like such an American thing, a guy named Wayne Watson, a 53-year-old man, is the only person to get popcorn lung as a consumer of popcorn, not as a factory worker. What? How much popcorn does this man eat? Yeah, well, th let me let me tell you. Or was he huffing popcorn he, bags? <laughs> he, for 10 years, ate about three bags of microwave popcorn a day. What? For 10 years. Holy. That's a lot of popcorn. Two to three bags a day for 10 years. Whoa. Yeah. That's, so, okay. 10 workers at the Gilster Mary Lee factory in Jasper, Missouri had to go on lung transplant lists um and then this guy who just loved some buttery, buttery microwave popcorn yeah. you know what his house probably smells like oh god imagine what his microwave looks like Ooh. no thanks and also like how he probably smells all the time yeah oh yeah i mean that's got to be leaking through his pores although i bet he's figured out like the exact second that that Probably. bag, like he, he knows that exactly two minutes and six seconds is exactly how many. That's that is an insane amount. That's a lot of popcorn. Of microwave popcorn. Like, don't get me wrong, I love popcorn and like especially kettle corn, but that's just that's too much. That's a lot of corn. Yeah, it's <laughs> that is a lot of corn. You know. Yeah. Right? Oof. I don't know why I had that thought, but that's just, wow. Okay. So, yeah, popcorn lung. Um, isn't, that, isn't that weird? It's super weird. And it um, makes me think about other 
products. I mean, now we are much better about um, personal protective equipment. We're much better about knowing what chemicals are in things. But I, this, this was happening um, 2007. Uh, they were trying to take this ingredient out of um, microwave popcorn. 2008, there was another lawsuit. So, like, this is still... This is still happening. In the UK, diacetyl is banned, um, and it's it's also not allowed in the e-cigarette flavors. Oh. But if you have like a, a buttery flavor um, of e-cigarette, this chemical is probably in there. Now, does that mean you're going to get popcorn lung? We don't know. Uh, you would probably have to use a lot of e-cigarettes or be very unlucky. However, is that is that risk still still worth it? I don't. I mean, there's not enough data. Is I, basically the thing. Is there? There's not enough of a I consensus. Think the larger question is why are you vaping buttery flavor? Mm. That's weird. They're the same people who, when they open up those Harry Potter jelly oh, beans, God. they're like, "Yeah, buttered popcorn." No. Oh, oh no, that's a that's a Jelly Belly flavor. That is. I think it's also a Harry Potter flavor. I think it is too, but. I'm not. I'm not. Not jazzed. Whenever I get to that one, no. I'm like, oh, well, like, here we go. People don't eat. I mean, well, I guess people I'll, do eat straight up butter. What I'll do is butter, I'll pair it like, with like a cherry one, so that it's got a little bit of that salty sweet. Or people a have paired it with blueberry, and they say it tastes like a blueberry muffin. That's, that's the word pretty, on the yeah. Jelly mm-hmm. Belly Street. I agree you know? with that. I'm a bit of a Jelly Belly aficionado. Yes, I. <laughs> I'm well. I'm well aware of your uh, your. Uh, High quality um, palette when it comes to Jelly Bellies. Thank you. Um, I so think you should start a Jelly Belly podcast. Maybe I should do a Jelly Belly podcast. <gasps> what about a candy podcast? That's very public health. That, <laughs> mm, candy reviews. Candy reviews. You know what? If it brings you joy. Yeah. And you, you eat it in moderate amounts, go for it. That's really beautifully stated. Thank you. But yeah, uh, popcorn lung, it is irreversible. Your that makes sense. bronchioles do not just like heal themselves. No. Um, in most cases, in the severe cases, you need a lung transplant. But yeah, this is why we still need occupational health. Yes. In, in the year 2018, we still need it because mm-hmm. there's factories out there, there's people in, working in industrial jobs and they're exposed to chemicals and we need to be able to track what they're exposed to, what doses, how much, and um, whether they were compliant with uh, the rules and regulations. So that is my topic. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah. And also... It it kind of makes me want some popcorn. Oh. But like... But not. But also not. Like, thinking about that let's buttery, do it old like but like do it old buttery stuff like old man. style like where you actually like pop it in a, on a stove oh yeah that's and the like on guy. the the tinfoil thing and the yeah the what is that the jiffy pan, pop the jiffy pop guys yeah. and over the fire mm-hmm. i really like to make homemade kettle corn myself it's pretty good anyway you want to hear my topic i do want to hear your topic tell me so we're going to talk about death certificates. Sweet. And the history of death certificates. All right. Yeah. So, like, so what do you know about death certificates? I Glenn? mean, I guess in old times they were like, 
yeah, Jebediah here, he's, he's dead now. Um, cool. I guess I'll, uh, you got a fountain pen or something? I'll, here, let me just write it on your arm. Jeb is dead. Jeb. <laughs> what day is it? I don't, I don't know. Is it? Does it matter? Um, <laughs> here, here, let's just, uh, let's just go bury him. Yep, let's get rid of him, you know. But then, you know, when, when Jesus comes back around, like, he'll come back and, you know. It'll, everything will be all right. It's like a receipt. Yeah. Basically. It's, like, a, it's a receipt that you can take to Karin as you try to cross the river sticks. <laughs> Here, all right. Uh, your dad is dead, and my name is Dr. Doctor. Um, here you go. Thanks. Go cool. cash that in. Can I get to Elysian, or am I stuck in limbo? <laughs> uh, so, death certificates are... <clears throat> not necessarily a an ancient thing because for the most part people didn't really care why people died mm. because of course they thought it was divine intervention right i mean why would you question the you know mechanisms of right i mean it's probably ghosts yeah he probably had ghosts in his blood and there's nothing you can do about it right besides cocaine besides cocaine yeah so I actually just read this really awesome article by The New Yorker, and it actually gives this really in-depth backstory up to now on the history of the death certificate. And I actually really love the title because it's, like, called Final Forms. Oh, God. Right? It's so good. Oh, that's so good. You never even see my final form. Final form. What's yeah. your final form? Uh, it's my death certificate. Yeah. Da -da right? So if you want to read this article, I'm also going to post it in the show notes because I'm not going to like completely go through the entire article because it's super long. And also the person that wrote it did a really great job that I probably will not do justice to. So Are they dead? Not that I know if that's real morbid. No, sorry. <laughs> it's cool. Um, so we haven't always had death certificates. In fact, for a long time, there really wasn't a desire to really understand death or why we died. This was because the cause of death was thought to be divine rather than scientific. If a god or goddess or god uh, caused the death, there was no reason to investigate, unless it was suspicious. That's the devil's work. That's true. Um, if it was, <laughs> or a witch, you know, like we, and people came up with super creative ways to kill people. Um, and if it was suspicious, I mean, there really was not a lot of great ways to investigate besides like, you know, hearsay and stuff. So a record of death was not introduced until after the Black Death. In 1512, the Bill of Mortality was created to let the community, or in this instance, perish, know who died of plague and who died of other causes. So it literally said Black Death or odor diseases. Or other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So two very simple categories. <laughs> Black Death, other. <laughs> yeah. No, that's literally what it said. Obviously in Old English. Um <laughs> So this was not a consistent practice. Um, it was sporadic. It usually happened around when there were outbreaks of Black Death. Uh, but in 1603, they, were, they started to be consistently posted weekly. And they did so for the next 230 years. Like on a scroll. Yeah, they put like in it the was town square. it's like a it was like a scroll that was posted and people were like, oh shoot. I wonder why. Mary didn't come to tea last night. Oh, oh it turns out she died of other. Of, of, oh, of, of odor. Odor diseases. Odor diseases. 
1629, James, King James I ordered that the bills of mortality include other causes of death besides odor uh, and besides plague, providing the actual first data set on mortality in the world. So this was like the first time the government actually became interested and invested um, in, in why we died. Um, you know, up until then, churches would record births and baptisms and funerals, but th that was the focus wasn't on why people died. It was just kind of a living history, right? So despite this huge step in starting this kind of obviously old English for old English version of, you know, um, an epidemiological data set, science really still had a long way to go, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, so, in the bills of mortality, you could die by itch, lethargy, the king's evil. King's evil. Or you could succumb to being overjoyed. Which doesn't actually sound like a bad way to go, but... Um, <laughs> so this was, like, clearly not necessarily consistent. It was very subjective. Um, it was really up to the author of the bill or the person that dealt with the dead person. They could, it literally could just say, died in the street. Like, no, that was no. their cause of death. Yep. You know how now we say, like, oh, my God, I'm dead. Like, that's so funny. Maybe that's like a, you know. We're just coming full circle. Maybe we need to record that. I guess we are, technically. Um, so this problem of, like, having vague subjective categories that weren't necessarily actual causes, but maybe more so, like, I found this person in an alley, which isn't a cause more so than just, like, a narrative. Um was explored by a haberdasher named John Gaunt in the mid-17th century. Oh. So and the first episode of Law and Order. <laughs> dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> they found a dude in an alley, and... He was like, hey. Detective Lenny Briscoe said something <laughs> Lord, Lord Lenny Briscoe. <laughs> Lord, Lord Detective Lenny Briscoe. Um, boy. Yeah. I'm already digging this version of Law and Order. <laughs> already digging it. Said, uh, this alley cat. Oh, has boy. Sung his last. Sung the last. Sung. No. Nope. Thoust last bard. I bard. don't know. Okay. That's. We were trying too hard. It's cool. Um, so anyway, he, as a, you know, person, as actually he had a background in accounting. So he said, I'm actually really interested to figure out why people are, you know, why people die. So he went through the pat, like 20 years worth of, uh, bills of mortality and put together a list of 81 causes of death and then aggregated them into four different categories to understand why we die. So there was injury, disease. I'm sure homicide was part of that. Um, so he did that, but, like, his interest wasn't necessarily in, like, using that in a way to, like, help prevent death. It was just, like, cool, let's figure out let's why people die. Let's organize it. Maybe he was just, like, doing Marie Kondo's, like, you know, Joy of Living, but it was really, or, like, was it the Joy, joy of, of Death? Death organization. I don't know. That was a terrible joke. Um, so in 1836, the Bills of Mortality became an actual bureaucratic system of registering death, and that was called the general, uh, this was under the general registry, register office, 
William Farr, who is also considered one of the one of the founders of epidemiology, became its first compiler of abstracts in 1837. And that's when he became invested. Not, that's not when, but he used this position to understand why we die as a way to save people's lives. So, um, you know, then you start thinking about other instances where death is used to look at epidemiological causes of outbreak, right? John Snow used, uh, you know, maps to see where cholera was having outbreaks. So you start seeing people using this as a tool rather than just like a, hey, we should record this. Um, and, you know, now we have a, a much more sophisticated way of, you know, of, put, of, of um, tracking mortality, um, but it's not necessarily consistent. Different countries have different ways of recording death. I mean, it can even be county by county. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can be extremely problematic. Like you think about even something right now that's going on with the opioid epidemic, the way we categorize whether or not somebody overdoses um, from opioids or something else, maybe that was related to the opioid epidemic, that has real-life implications for how we understand how the epidemic works and how it spreads. Um, and, you know, mortality is like, I mean, that's a, a foundational block of how we understand health in a community, right? We look mm-hmm. at mortality rates and morbidity rates to understand the health of countries, of communities. And so the death certificate really is like, I think in the article they called it like basically the atomic unit, you know, yeah. of, of, of public health. You know, because in order to truly understand the cause of death, you know, or to understand how, how to understand the health of a community, we really need to understand the, how people die. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so that was my topic. That's cool. And it's interesting because when we're, research, when we're researching um, why people die and how many people die of certain causes, we rely on the data, but a lot of times the data are missing or inaccurate or the cause of death may not be like the root cause of mm-hmm. why someone died. So mm-hmm. if someone um, dies of diabetic ketoacidosis, but because they lacked access to a family practitioner who could have helped them control their diabetes better and they lacked insurance because of where they uh-huh, live and where they uh-huh. grew up and what so like all of those circumstances is that they died of um you know of diabetic ketoacidosis or did they die of poverty or did they uh-huh. die of this or that you know talking about the opioid epidemic if someone is super high out of their mind and trips and falls off of something and their death is recorded as blunt force trauma but they wouldn't have fallen off of that thing right. if they weren't right. super high and if they right. hadn't been overprescribed by a doctor who shouldn't been prescribing for this right. condition, if right. they hadn't. So like you the cause of death is way more complicated than just saying like, go back and back yeah. and back and yeah. back to the yeah. root causes. And I think that's a lot of what public health is. But in order to get to that point, we need to know what, what was written down when that person right. was like there on the table because mm-hmm. you can't go back once they've been cremated or buried mm-hmm. most of the times or whatever. You can't, like, necessarily test them for things. Right. Well, and what's interesting, one thing that really popped out to me... starting point. Right. 
you know. One thing that really popped out to me in this article was that, what do they say, 50 million people die a year globally, but only half of them have a recorded death. Whoa. So, I mean, you think about other countries, like developing countries or underdeveloped countries that don't have a system of, you know, A, keeping a track of people who are dying and why they die, but also professionals, like, you know, uh, having a coroner's office or, you know, um, professionals that can actually study and figure out why people die or mm -hmm. why, why what the cause of death was for an individual. So, um, which I think is what, what was super interesting, too, about the start of the Bills of Mortality. Like in a weird way like that it's a it's an interesting endeavor for a government to undertake because that's a lot of work um for something that they didn't necessarily understand how valuable it was until later on yeah so um i don't know it was very interesting i i think i might have chosen it because i've been watching a lot of forensic files lately but um <laughs> you have been watching a lot of like murder maps murder shows um i almost i almost wanted to choose something that had to do with like forensics but then i was like i don't i'm gonna have to somehow tie that back to public health and i'm not sure how but no, um, I, I actually knew nothing about the history of death certificates and that's really interesting because we rely on them a lot but, yeah and they're not always accurate which is also crazy yeah um even in like and i think the the article touches on this, but you think about like um, actuarial science, right? Like how do we determine insurance rates and even like life insurance, like all death certificates touch a lot of different pieces of, um, you know, different fields besides so, yeah, the public health. Division of vital statistics mm -hmm. is um, a department within a health department. And at least in, in the United States it is yeah. um, where they issue birth certificates, mm -hmm. death certificates, and um, they kind of manage those records. Mm -hmm. So there's another function of, of public health mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily think about when you go to the health department. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I th another interesting piece that was brought out was that in order to record death, you also have to record a person's identity which was also a new concept, right? Like that the government had a vested interest in, in um, having personal identification for its citizens. And so, and that means for everybody, right? Like personal identification from kings to, you know, peasants. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just super interesting to see how this also was a piece of becoming a more democratic society. You know, there was a quote in here that was essentially like, to be governed is to be surveilled, right? So you know, to be a part of a democracy, it goes both ways. Like, you want to say, but you also have to submit who you are and, you know, uh, provide information so that, yeah. you know, what you want is valuable. So, yeah. I heard a story on, um, could have been like This American Life or one of those other um, human interest type shows where some woman... Um, could not get a line of credit because she was mistakenly pronounced dead. I think I heard because the same of a one. case of like mistaken identity. Yeah, and they couldn't undo the death certificate. So like she just holy. It took years and years and years. So she couldn't get a credit card. She couldn't take out a car loan. She couldn't wow. do anything because every time she did, the system would be like, "No, this person's dead." 
She'd be like, I'm not, though. That's crazy. Some people would kill mm. to uh, be pronounced dead. Go off the grid. Off the grid. Yeah, so that's all I have on that's, death certificates. Um, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yours uh, was interesting, too. Popcorn long. It, it really, like, makes my like chest tight like thinking about it because it sounds awful popcorn lung Ugh. i also think of like popcorn ceilings for some reason like when you say that yeah you probably shouldn't un inhale that Pop no it's might be asbestos. a way to get popcorn lung. yeah or mesothelioma <laughs> i've heard of mesothelioma yeah there's like all those commercials, on the commercials when yeah. mom watched the price is right right on when i'm homesick right um Cool. Well, let us know what you think about this this format, and maybe we'll bust it out every once in a while. Yeah. Um, thank you for, for transducting. Transdu transducing? Ooh, I don't feel good about for that. Take, thank you for taking a transduce mm -mm. of knowledge. Nope. Right? Nope. Right on, on me. If it was the poop episode, I'd maybe. let that slide. You might let that happen. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, if you are... First-time listener, we have a uh, social media presence. We're on um, the Twitter and the Facebook, <laughs> and we have a website, www.viral-pod.com, where you can sign up for our listserv. Um, by doing so, you'll get emails when we release new episodes, and sometimes we do um, stickers and T-shirts and other fun things like that. Yeah, we've got some pretty dope-ass t-shirts and yep. some really sweet stickers, honestly. I like them. I like them. Yeah. The, the shirt is very soft. It's so soft. It's extremely soft. And, like, it's unisex, but not in a unflattering way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that v-neck. So, um, reach out to us. Give us a review, because that'll help other people find the show. Um, our... Intro and outro music is Take Your Medicines by the Quick and Easy Boys. Do you have anything else uh, you'd like to remind our listeners? Just, like, wash your hands, because, you know, public health. You don't want to end up on one of those death certificates. No, you don't. You don't want a little bill of mortality nope. attached to you. So, all right. Thanks for listening.